0: Well, we'll turn to Deuteronomy chapter 12 again, and we'll start reading at verse number 1. These are the statutes and judgments which ye shall observe to do in the land, which the Lord God of thy fathers giveth thee to possess it, all the days that ye live upon the earth. Ye shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which ye shall possess served their gods. Upon the high mountains, and upon the hills, and under every green tree. And ye shall overthrow their altars, and break their pillars, and burn their groves with fire. And ye shall hew down the graven images of their gods and destroy the names of them out of that place Ye shall not do so unto the Lord your God but unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there even unto his habitation shall ye seek and thither thou shalt come and thither ye shall bring your burnt offerings, <clears throat> and your sacrifices, and your tithes, and heave offerings of your hand, and your vows, and your freewill offerings, and the firstlings of your herds, and of your flocks. And there ye shall eat before the Lord your God, and ye shall rejoice in all that ye put your hand unto, ye and your households wherein the Lord thy God hath Bless thee, and we'll just finish there. Remember, last week I mentioned a verse in Ephesians, Ephesians four, Ephesians two, verse four, and it was, "But God, who was rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved." and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And that was, we were were talking about uh, the inheritance that is in heaven for us, and I just happened to read a little commentary by a man called William MacDonald, Uh, who actually died nearly a 100, I think, on Christmas Day this year. But it follows, he said, his little commentary on those verses about that in the ages to come, God might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And here's what he said about that. It follows that if God will be disclosing this grace, the exceeding riches of his grace to us, He says, throughout eternity, then we will be learning forever and ever. Heaven will be our school. God will be the teacher. His grace will be the subject. And we will be the students. And I thought this was good. And the school term will be eternity. God will teach us throughout eternity about his wonderful love and the riches we have through grace and faith in Jesus Christ I thought that was just very interesting now going back to Deuteronomy chapter 12 and today I think is a bit of a warning to us it was a warning to the children of Israel and it's a warning to us soon Israel were going to possess their inheritance, they were going into the land soon they would come into contact with paganism in its full extent soon they would encounter the results of demon and devil worship and you know I was thinking about this and much the same Paul writing to Timothy in 1st Timothy chapter 4 Paul warns Timothy of exactly the same type of thing that he could expect. He says, Now the Spirit expressly speaketh that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. He was warning them that that would happen. But then he goes on to say in verse 6 If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine whereunto thou hast attained. There are going to be people he says in the churches who are going to fall away and follow doctrines of devils. And your responsibility, Timothy, is to warn the people. And if you do that, he says, you're a good minister of Jesus Christ. It is our responsibility to bring to mind and to the minds of people the dangers of following the doctrines of devils. Oh, you'd never do that. Well, look around. We'll talk about that later. And so the Israelites needed to know how to contend for their faith in God. To strive in opposition and gain mastery over these evil and these very real forces they were going to come up against. Let's never forget that the forces of evil in this world are powerful. But thank God scripture tells us, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. As we saw last week, God was giving the rules whereby they were to live in the land, and the priority was that they were to obey his word. Without any doubt, without any human reasonings, as to the whys and the wherefores of strict obedience. God has spoken. That is conclusive for you and me. It is sufficient to know that God commands, and God commands we obey. Unless we get this principle into our minds and into our thoughts, we will find the following verses that we're going to look at today difficult to understand comprehend and other verses as well as we seek to live godly lives in this world and seek to apply the teachings of Deuteronomy and God's word into our daily lives we have to obey God's word strictly as we read these two verses immediately we will come up against human reasonableness from many people I'm sure there were people in Israel who could not understand why God was being so strict they brought in human reasonings so we must have God's word and the 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 thought of always obeying God foremost in our mind these are the statutes and judgments which ye shall observe in the land no room for compromise then he goes on to describe them we read them again verses 2 and 3 you shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which ye shall possess serve their gods upon the high mountains and upon the hills and under every green tree, and ye shall overthrow their altars, and break their pillars down, and burn their groves with fire, and ye shall hew down the graven images of their gods, and destroy the names of them out of that place. Before we go on, I want to look at some of the sort of the attributes of our God. The God the Israelites worshipped is the same God that we worship God hasn't changed now I wouldn't be capable and I couldn't in any case give a comprehensive picture of God people have written volumes on this very subject but just one or two points will suffice for our study today, and what we 're looking at, first thing, God owned this land and was giving it to his people to possess it. If he did not own it, he could not have been giving it to them. It's fairly logical. way back in Exodus, second thing, God had commanded, <clears throat> he says, "I am the Lord thy God." which brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thyself any graven images or the likeness of anything that is heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generations of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. We all know those verses so well. Thirdly, God said elsewhere, I will not give my glory unto another. God will not permit any other to be worshipped other than him. He will not give, I will not give my glory unto another. Fourthly God said I am he, before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. There is only one God, one true God. As far as Israel was concerned, as far as God is concerned, and as far as you and me should be concerned. There are no other gods. There are false gods, demons, devils. The Bible says the gods of the nations are idols. There is only one true God. Then a series of little things, just five here. God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness. God is the king of all the earth. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. You know there are people who erroneously teach. That Satan has some legal hold over God. That God lost control of creation after Adam's fall. That God had to barter in some way with Satan to buy us back. That is not what scripture teaches. God is a sovereign Lord as you remember Nebuchadnezzar? He had to learn this. What did Nebuchadnezzar say way back in Daniel chapter four and verse thirty-four? Here's what he said: "I bless the Most High." Do you remember he had he had uh, had to 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 go out into the fields because he was struck down with an illness, and then he was reinstated on his throne, and he said, "I bless the Most High, and I praised and honoured Him that liveth forever whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants habitations of the earth, and none can stay his hand, or say to him, What doest thou? God uses evil forces to fulfill his will. We haven't time to go into that now. But Nebuchadnezzar was a despot. Nebuchadnezzar was a despot. An absolute ruler with absolute authority. Whatever he said went. Nobody questioned Nebuchadnezzar. It would have been the last time they questioned him if he did. But Nebuchadnezzar had to learn that God was a God who had total authority of heaven and earth. You know, last week, we spoke briefly about a passage in in Acts chapter 5 where Peter said to the high priest, we ought to obey God rather than man. You remember that? Well, if you go back a chapter to chapter 4, Acts chapter 4. Here again because of their preaching the apostles were put in jail. It was after they had healed a man going up to the temple and he'd asked Peter for some uh, alms. Peter had said silver and gold have I none and the man was healed. But after that they were put in prison. Jewish authorities sought to intimidate the apostles however the authorities were afraid of the people and commanded that the apostles should not speak in the name of Jesus again. Verse 19 But Peter and John answered and said unto them whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God judge ye. (coughs) We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They have been witnesses of such wonderful things over the past few weeks. So when they have further threatened the apostles, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. Verse 23. And being let go... They went their own company, to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them and how that they had sought to intimidate them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Oh, they're in a dangerous situation. They had been told not to preach again in the name of Jesus, they were intimidated but what did they do they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said Lord thou art God which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them who by the mouth of thy servant David has said why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things that's what they could see was happening the kings of the earth stood up and rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed, his Christ this is Psalm 2 the kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his Christ for of a truth against thy holy child Jesus whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together and here's an interesting thing For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. That's why they rose up against Jesus. To do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined beforehand to be done. And now Lord behold their threatenings. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thy hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus and when they had prayed the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness what a wonderful prayer and what a response from God in verse 24 they called upon the mighty God, the creator God, he who had who would hold the nations and the kings of the earth who sought to oppose him in derision as it says in Psalm 2 Chap called Bill Randles and he's written an excellent book Making War in the Heavenlies, and he put spiritual warfare on a scriptural basis not like much of what goes on today in churches talking about spiritual warfare but he points out here that Lord, the word Lord in verse 24 in the Greek is despotes the word from which we get the word despot absolute ruler absolute ruler they called upon God as the absolute ruler one whose commands cannot be questioned didn't have any prayer walks they didn't try to uh, rebuke a spirit of intimidation or any such thing they just appealed to a God who had total authority and see the reason I'm saying this is going back to Israel God had the absolute right to give this land the Israelites were going into God's land and he was giving it to them and as it was his land he could set out the terms as to how it was to be used it had been spoiled by the worshippers of Satan demons and devils evil pagan worship was throughout the land. And this worship was usually centered on the mountains and hills the high places and under trees. It seems that when people began to worship other than to worship God the most obvious and the main deity they worshipped was the sun the ancients knew and everyone knew that it provided light and it made the plants grow and the vegetation and they depended on it they enjoyed the heat from it and they could see that it moved around the sky every day on its journey it's small wonder that they considered the sun to be an extremely important force in changing their lives and in shaping their lives. And so they worshiped the sun. No earthly temple could ever uh, be built to contain the sun god. And so the most favored places to worship the sun, this all powerful deity, would naturally have been the mountains and the hills the attempt to get as near as possible to their god and then lesser gods were brought in the moon gods the moon god is the the god the, the Muslims worship. that's why they have all these crescents because the moon goes through certain crescents as it goes from new moon to full moon and in, in Jeremiah, we, we read of them, the people making <coughs> their worship to the moon, the queen of heaven. And they made little cakes that looked like little moons. And we have Christianized those by putting a little cross on them, and we call them hot cross buns. We still, in some way, carry on the worship of the moon god. And so on. They They had gods for everything. Gods of the wind, gods of thunder, gods of lightning, gods of the rivers, powerful gods of earthquakes, volcanoes. These still exist in heathen worship today. The Hindus have thousands of gods. And many of these gods had groves, sheltered areas where they were worshipped. And you know we see this type of worship. In the pagan religions around us. and the new age cults. We have the river gods. Look at all those people who go and bathe in the Ganges. And other rivers in India. Because they believe that that is a god. And we're seeing in Nepal. Where they worshipped under these trees. Where they bathe in the rivers in India. And now God was saying to these people, you're going into this land. This is what is happening. This is what is taking place in this land. You have to. They have to be totally destroyed. The idols, the temples, the groves, get rid of them all. Their stone altars were to be completely destroyed. The Lord would not have the remains of idolatry in the land where his tabernacle and worship were. They were abominable to him. Break down their pillars. Some of these pillars have very lurid connotations. Burn their groves and their gods. Which were planted about their temples. And where their idols were placed. And where they privately committed the most abominable, lewdless under the notion of religion. Hew down the graven images of their gods, which were, for the most part, made of wood. Destroy the names of these gods out of the place by never making any mention of them in your conversation. By changing probably the names of the places called after them, and especially by destroying all the relics of them. Whatever pertained to them, which might lead to people to go back to worship them. In this respect, isn't it strange? God says don't even mention their names. What do we do? What has Christianity done? Well, just a simple example. You take the, 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 the name given to the time of the year when the Lord Jesus' crucifixion is remembered. The Son of God who made these laws came down to this earth and was crucified on behalf of you and me. And what do we do? We call that holiday after one of these evil gods. Easter after Ashtoreth. A wicked, evil, abominable God. And we call the time when our Lord was crucified after an abominable God Hosea 2.17 I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth and they shall be no more remembered by their name that's what God wanted them to do get rid of them all what do we do Um, Just the days of the week and the months of the year they called some of them after these heathen gods It's incredible. What a godly clear out this was intended to be. To do this clean up, it was important for the Israelites. It was a total necessity for them and an obligation if they were to stay in the land. Their staying in the land was conditional on them obeying God. You know, human observation outside it must have appeared to be a very intolerant act to do this with people's religion I remember quite often in the shop Rosemary would be talking to somebody and they would, she would say that there's only one way to God and they say that's terribly narrow that's terribly intolerant of other people's ideas it is it's intolerant because God said there was only one way to him through Jesus Christ it is intolerant but it's God who says it we have to say yes this seemed to be intolerant it was intolerant to these people's religions because God could not permit it any other way look at it from God's point of view he is the only true God therefore he could never abide this false satanic worship in his land. And we can see that this idol worship was totally blasphemous, wicked, and had to be done away with. God's word had declared that he should be worshipped and him only served. And so he could not abide any rival in his land. What is important in all this is the fact that God, in his character and holiness, has not changed today. That's so important. God hasn't changed. He may have changed in this age of grace as to his immediate reaction to sin, but that's only for a season. He still cannot bear to look upon sin. He may not in this age intervene directly and frequently in the affairs of mankind as once he did, but he will do so again. He still abhors demon worship, and then he by those who bear his name, which in any way tolerates sin and approves of compromise and tolerance towards the religion of false gods in this world. Be warned, Ye shall not do so unto the Lord your God Jesus speaking to Satan It is written Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God And him only shalt thou serve And yet we see all around us today That very compromise From those who should know better You know Every Sunday I, I produce little things to bring to your attention this very fact on what perhaps could be regarded as compromise in Christendom amongst those the world regards as Christians. Here's the thing that came in. This is an example of what these false religions teach and why, where we have compromised by the churches with these false religions. Here's a translation of the address Benedict Sixteenth gave at the general audience in January. He says we are contemporaries of the shepherds of the Magi of Simeon and Anna and while we do <coughs> and while we go with them we are full of joy because God has desired to be the God with us and he has a mother who is our mother. We think of the privilege of the Immaculate Conception of being that is immune from sin from the very very moment of her conception. Mary was preserved from every stain of sin because she had to be the mother of the Redeemer. The same goes for the title of assumed and he goes on and talks about that. Because he goes no precisely because the mother of the church, the Virgin, is also mother of each of us who are members of the mystical body of Christ, from the cross Jesus entrusted the mother to each of his disciples and at the same time entrusted each of his disciples to the love of his mother. Thus, in the supreme moment of the fulfillment of his messianic mission, Jesus leaves each of his disciples as a precious inheritance, his own mother, the Virgin Mary. Dear brothers and sisters, in these days of the year we are invited to be attentively and to consider the importance of the presence of Mary in the life of the church and in our personal existence. Let us entrust ourselves to her that she may guide our steps in, the, in, his new, in this new period of time that the Lord has given us to live. And that she may help us to be authentic friends of her son, and thus encourages and thus encourage builders of the kingdom in, his wor- in this world: Kingdom of light and of truth. Let's read that again. and that she may help us to be authentic friends of her son and thus courageous builders of his kingdom in this world. it's just unbelievable when you read that it's untrue it's lies even with this blasphemy we have Methodists Baptists, Anglicans and all the other denominations tripping over themselves to unite with Rome look around today on Sunday on the Sunday service coming from an Anglican cathedral talking about their sister cathedral down the road and you know I read the book of common prayer and to see what it says about the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church such teachings as it says purgatory the teachings of purgatory are repugnant to the word of God transubstantiation cannot be proved by holy writ it is repugnant to the plain words of scripture The Church of Rome hath erred, not only in their living and manner of ceremonies, but also in matters of faith. There are a lot more points. If you read the 39 articles, those are extracts from the 39 articles, the Church of Rome is evil. And yet, this is just ignored, ignored by most clergy today, with impunity. We've been told we've moved on from the time of the 39 articles. They were written when the Church of Rome was different. The Church of Rome hasn't changed. It's still apostate. You know, there was a program on television a, while, a few weeks ago. It was a, a vicar from Putney, I think it was. And he, he, he was visiting all these pagan, pagan cults and living with them for a, a, a while, practicing their practices. It was good television and uh, entertainment, probably. I didn't watch it. But there'll be a day of reckoning. God is not mocked. We have missionaries in those countries where where this chap was uh, cohorting with these, these evil practices. We have missionaries out there trying to convert those people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's a man who is... A, a member of the church here out there cohorting with them and back here we have the leaders of our churches all mixing with the Hindus and the Muslims and all the rest of it and we have missionaries we send missionaries out to these worlds to try and convert the people God is not mocked you know we're going to have the, the Bible teaches that there's going to be a one world church and we can see that it's happening it's taking place before our very eyes Any person with any eyes can see that it's happening. And these people who are compromising with these false religions are rushing that day forward. Soon there will be a one world church and there's going to be a one world government. That's going to happen. Here's an interesting thing. Listen to this. Six US senators and 49 members, house members and advisors for a group working towards a transatlantic common market between the US and the European Union by the year 2015. The plan currently being implemented by the Bush administration with the formation of the Transatlantic Economic Council in April 2007 appears to be following a plan written in 1939 by a world government advocate who sought to create a transatlantic union as an international governing body. An economist, an economist from the World Bank has argued in print that the formation of the transatlantic common, common market is designed to follow the blueprint of Jean Monnet, a key intellectual architect of the European Union, recognising that economic integration must must inevitably lead to political integration. Writing in the same issue of the Strike Council publication, Bennett also confirmed that what has become known as the Merkel initiative would allow the Transatlantic Economic Council to integrate and harmonize administrative rules and regulations between the US and the EU in a very quiet way without introducing a new free trade agreement to Congress. A progress report on the Transatlantic Economic Council website indicates that the following US government agencies are already at work integrating and harmonising administrative rules and regulations with their EU counterparts, the Office of Management and Budget, the Food and Drug Administration, the Environmental Protection Agency, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, and the Securities and Exchange Commission. As understood by Jean Monnet, he continued, economic integration must and will lead to political integration since an integrated market requires common institutions producing common rules to govern it. We are living in the end times. God's clock is moving inevitably nearer to 12 o'clock. Malachi, way back says in chapter 315, and now we are calling the arrogant blessed. Not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they also test God and escape test God and escape nobody worries but God says it goes on God says the day is coming then you shall again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked between those who serve God and him who does not serve him for behold the day is coming burning like a fire pot and all the proud and every evil doer of wickedness shall be chaff and the coming day will set them ablaze says the Lord of hosts which will not leave root or branches to them, you know the way you burn chaff God will burn them up an awful day of judgment is coming but how how you say how should we live in times like this just finally, there are four or five verses I want to just look up very quickly. How do we behave when we come across people who are acting against the Word of God? First John, First John chapter 1, and uh, chapter 4, and verse 1. First John, way back to the end of the Bible. James Peter and John First John chapter 4 and verse 1 Beloved believe not every spirit but try the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets are gone out into the world this was even in John's time it's so much more serious now search, check them check them up see whether they comply with the words of scripture and if they don't Romans 16 verse 17 listen now I beseech you brethren mark mark them which cause divisions and offences contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them mark them oh you shouldn't do that that's not loving what does the Word of God says? People who are teaching things not according to the words of Scripture, mark them. If they're causing divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrines of the Word of God of which you've learned, avoid them. Avoid them. Paul again speaking to Titus this time. Titus is coming after Timothy. Chapter 1 and verse 13. He says... These people rebuke them sharply, rebuke them sharply, rebuke them. Those who are causing divisions, those who are teaching not according to God's word, rebuke them sharply. Go on to John, back to John again. Second John, very short little uh, uh, letter that John wrote. Second John, verse 10. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of Scripture, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. Don't have him in your house, even. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. It's very strict, God's word is strict. And finally, in 2 Timothy Second Timothy 3 and verse 5 the first verse of this chapter says know this in the last days perilous times shall come then he says there are going to be people who will have a form of godliness but will deny the power thereof he says turn away from them. turn away from them. All of the warnings in God's word. We need to heed them. The Israelites were to, to, to get rid of all that evil out of their lives. And so must we. So must we. May God help us day by day to follow his word. To obey his word. And to turn away from evil. The doctrines of demons. And to follow the teachings of the word of God. Day by day in our lives. And walk. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. And finally, a verse from Jude chapter 3. An unusual translation. I am compelled to send you this letter of warning. You have a battle to fight over the faith that was handed down once for all to the saints. Amen.